And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. So today's episode is about an urban legend, one that I have found incredibly fascinating, but haven't quite had the opportunity to explore fully, and that is this idea that there is a secret underground hidden city, uh, a, a series of tunnels beneath Walt Disney World, occupied by the employees of Disney and is there to basically get to any point in the park, and it's this intricate underground system that is incredibly vast and notoriously complex. So some of that's true, some of it isn't, but we're gonna get you the straight dope on that with the guy who originally went down there and was one of the first guerrilla filmmakers to really film walking down there, and that is Leonard Kinsey, who recorded his exploits for this and other things to do at Disney once you get bored with Disneyland and Disney World itself, and that is a book called The Dark Side of Disney. So we're going to get into the Utilidors. That's what these underground systems are actually called. We're going to talk about some of the other stuff he suggests, all the kind of things that you can really do in Walt Disney World, and that's where we're going to start it, but let's let's get right into that. I'm, I'm excited to get into this with Leonard Kinsey. Thanks for being on the show today. You've done some incredible things. We're going to get into The Dark Side of Disney, which is a book. Now, you wrote this book a while ago. There's probably been some changes to it. And you know, there's a lot of things about it that I just thought were really cool. I kind of, I think they were the first time these things have been done or said. A couple of different things in the book I think are unique. Uh, we can get to that in a second. But I, I want to talk about you, the man, the myth, the legend, Leonard Kinsey. Is that your real name or is that a pseudonym? No, that that's a pseudonym. Um, and, you know, I, I, I knew before I released this book, before I released the YouTube videos, I just knew that I was going to get a lot of blowback, not only from Disney, but from the fans. I call them pixie dusters, the kind of people who believe that, you know, the second you set foot in, in uh, Walt Disney World, like all the outside world goes away and there's no more sex, drugs and rock and roll. Um, and when I prove that wrong i knew they were going to come after me so i didn't i didn't want people showing up at my doorstep or uh, you know, <laughs> with pitchforks and uh, torches so. sure no that's fair i mean it's it's i've never heard that term pixie dust there's a lot i learned a lot of stuff through your book it's not only is this inside but you wrote two so this is kind of like a uh i don't know if they call the non-fiction book but it's definitely like a a, a travel book of yeah you know how how to kind of it's more like it should really be called like debauchery in disney like the dark side of disney makes me think of you know the bad things disney does which i took notes on but you probably won't want to get into because i don't think that's your thing but it's more about like how to have like how to maximize your vacation there really is what the book is right is that a good way to describe it yeah, I mean it's it's a travel guide partially, um, and it's it's a travel guide for adults. It's PG thirteen R rated travel guide, and you know when I was going to Disney as an adult, that's the kind of travel guide I wanted to read, and it yeah. it didn't exist. It wasn't out there, so right. Um, <laughs> right. so I so I wrote it. Yeah, um, 
but and and then so there's the travel guide part and then there's just all these stories from me and from my friends and from cast members who work there um that i'd gathered over the years and so i'd say that's about a third of the book and then another third is like interviews with with uh urban explorers uh people who have done stuff similar to what i was doing so because i i knew the travel guide part again i knew once this came out uh disney would be pissed and they would probably shut down a lot of the things that i talked about in the book they would close the the loops right and um and they did they they which good for them, you know, they, they should, um, which is why I kept a lot of my, my best tips for myself, um, and didn't, didn't make them public, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, so I didn't, I knew it was going to, I knew the book was going to get dated. That part of the book was going to get dated pretty quickly. So I, I wanted there to be a lot of content in there that, that would be timeless and, right. and, uh, that people could still enjoy for years. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because I wanted to kind of get your sense on what the updates were, but, but getting back to what I was saying is, you know, you, you wrote that book and then you wrote two other fiction books. They're extraordinarily yeah. inside really. Like I was, you almost mm-hmm. have to have, um, like, like you have to know the jargon. You have to be fluent in the language of Disney. Yeah. You know, like one yeah. of the things that, you know, calling employees cast members. Mm-hmm. It's a little ridiculous, but I get why I get why they do it because essentially Disney World, Disneyland, when you walk into it, that's the stage, that's the performance. You know, exactly. that th- that's where everything's going on. So, you know, from the vendors to the custodians all the way up to all the way up to Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse walking around, they're all part of the cast that you're kind of enjoying. I, I like that idea, but they're still employees. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, like it just seems a little. The flowery language just seems a little silly to me. I guess. And it's funny they actually do call it on stage when you go out to where huh. the guests the guests are. You're on stage, and and they, I I think you'd be surprised how many um how many actors and theater majors actually go work for Disney as especially as face characters or uh, the costume characters. Um, to them, they're they're playing a role and they take it very seriously. Um, and you know Walt. Disney himself took it very seriously. Um, the whole reason why he built those underground tunnels in Walt Disney World is because at Disneyland they didn't have those, and he got really pissed when he saw a cowboy walking through uh, Sci-Fi Tomorrowland. It totally broke that that illusion of the being on stage. So he said, "Well, we're going to build underground tunnels now, so that will never happen." So yeah, these guys are, they're dead serious about this stuff. Um, and if you're like if you play a face character that's what they call them uh people who aren't in in costumes like cinderella for example you can't say you can't tell anyone that you play cinderella you have to say you're a friend of cinderella um (laughs) that's it so they have this whole jargon this whole like dictionary of terms that they use and it's kind of fascinating to, to me anyway no, I mean that was one of the things I picked out because I obviously I read I read your books and and the thing that really stood out to me is how inside it is. I mean, like Hapst yeah. and the Disney Saboteurs, which is one of your other books. I mean, mm-hmm. literally the first two chapters. The first chapter is about a guy going into Disneyland posing as an employee, and yep. like you, if I hadn't read the Dark Side of Disney and looked up a lot of the words, I, w- I would have been absolutely lost. I would have known what was <laughs> going on. I would have been like, "Is this in English? Like, what is happening?" I understand the words, but not the order. And, and, yeah. and it's just it's crazy that like they're so into that. But let's so that's Dark Side of Disney. We're gonna get that in a second. I want to talk about your pre Dark Side days. Can we do that? Maybe that was the true sure. Dark Side uh, of learning. <laughs> Yeah, but in your you know in in several of your bios across the various different platforms where you can find your stuff, 
You talk about how, at least it says that you wrote and directed a feature film which received international distribution. What was Mm -hmm. the film? What was it about? And where was it distributed? Well, I I can't tell you the name of it because that'll link back to my my real name and then I'll get the... (laughs) Flaming, flaming bags of turds on my doorstep. Which well, I, come which I on, still, still, you think uh, people oh, still yeah. are going to turd your house? Oh yeah, you'd be, you'd be amazed. Toilet paper is um, pretty expensive. No one's going to be TP in the <laughs> that, That's that's true. No, uh, no, I, I, people still get very upset to, to this day. But no, it was I did. I made a feature film. Um, it was a zombie comedy, and it did get uh, distributed by a, a well-known um, distributor right before like Blockbuster collapsed and all that went to hell uh-huh. um i actually did get dvd distribution which was fun but uh, so a lot of you know those filmmaking skills uh translated over to the youtube channel that i have now mm, um right. so I, I i never really stopped doing the filmmaking stuff i just shifted what i was making films about um and yeah i mean i'd like to think that that's uh, that quality at least is somewhat evident on my my youtube channel videos they're you know, relatively well edited. The sounds decent. They're color corrected, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, they look great. I actually like your intro. Normally, a lot of video like vlogs, I'm not in love with the intro. Yours is great. It's nice, quick. Um, yeah, it's great. And we'll have quick links to that. Simple, yeah. I'll let everyone kind of kind of see what you're doing there. So, so I, I'm t- so I take it you can't tell me about your rock band and this and the show you were on. I mean, like, how secretive do we have to to be here? I can be I can be general, but it, yeah, it was a it was a rock band, uh, kind of along the lines of like Ween or Frank Zappa. It was it was just silly, kind of uh, obscene, offensive rock music, which you know again translates pretty well into into what I'm doing with Dark Side of Disney. Um, just always had that kind of uh, that kind of sense of humor where. You know, I wanted it to be a little bit edgy, and um, yeah, we got pretty big. So I'm in, I'm in the Baltimore area. We got pretty big in Baltimore. Um, we were on a, uh, a national TV show, one of those kind of um, you know American Idol type things. So that was a blast. And uh, yeah, coincidentally, right as the band was breaking up, um, I was finishing the book. So it was like a pretty seamless transition. And and uh, we didn't. Um, there was no animosity. <laughs> One of our lead singers wanted to go work at an alpaca farm, which was bizarre, and he was dead set on that. Another one, um, his uh, soon-to-be wife hated the band with a fiery passion, and so he was, you know, looking to leave. And um, yeah, it was just it was time, and so I just kind of slid right into the book thing after that. And, and so, is the, I mean, is the passion for Disney still there? I mean, like, is the because are you still doing the dark side of Disney, is, or is that kind of like ebb and flow kind of a deal? I would say right now I'm pretty burned out on the Disney stuff. Um, a lot of that, a lot of that is because of the changes at the, and of course this is all pre, you know, COVID, but the the changes at the parks. They kind of lost a lot of what I loved about them uh, growing up. And um, part of it's because of the fan community, which can be really toxic, as I kind of mentioned. You know, like any community where people are really passionate about things. But for some reason, it's just extra weird when we're talking about Disney and people are, you know, threatening each other's lives. Um, and, um, And part of it is because I started traveling internationally. I started going to... You know, like the real countries that are in Epcot Center World Showcase, and it was like, wow, there's a whole other world out there. I'm not going to take every vacation at Disney anymore. I'm going to go out and see what what else is out there. Of course, you know, when I do go overseas, I 
go to different theme parks and there's one in the Netherlands called Efteling that I just am in love with. Um, it's, it's like, uh, a very, very weird, bizarro version of Disneyland, um, which is great for me. I, I think it's awesome. So, yeah, I kind of branched out, and I kind of just, I guess, lost a little bit of that spark for Disney itself. But I will say I do still keep up on everything, um, and I still I have the publishing company, Bamboo Forest Publishing, and I still publish other people's books about Disney and work very hard to, to make sure those are high quality. And so I'm still in it. I'm just not as in it as I used to be. Now, do you still manage and maintain the largest Epcot memorabilia, vintage Epcot memorabilia collection? I, I would, I would say that that's true. Yeah. I've not seen anyone else with the, with the collection I have. And, uh, and that's great. Like I, I love it there. It's all still set up at my house and, and I look at it every day and yeah, it's, uh, you know, a lot of these things were, uh, were pieces that I got, you know, 10, 20, Years ago on eBay, uh, when no one cared, you know, this is before ever, there was kind of this resurgence of this retro 80s Epcot stuff. So a lot of these are just one of a kind pieces that I got for 10 bucks because someone was going to throw it away, um, which are now, of course, worth who knows how much because they're one of a kind. They're priceless. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. I have a lot of really cool pieces. And it's all vintage. So how far back do you go? Like, tell me about this Epcot collection. I mean, I mean, it's, you're obviously spend a lot of time and money on it. Like, what, what, what are your favorite pieces? What is an Epcot collection? I mean, like, what do they sell there? I mean, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, well, so Epcot opened in, in 1982. So it all goes back to most of what I have is, is right around from, from that era, from the early to mid-'80s. Um, you know, just things that are actually in the parks, um, that, uh, sign signs and, um, displays. And I've got some, uh, prototypes. Like uh, I've got, a, there's this, these fountains out in the entrance of the park, these really cool, um, see-through spires uh, that, that sat on top of this water feature. And so I've got a, uh, a prototype that the designer of that made, uh, oh, wow. it's a scale model, scale model of that. And, and he signed that. That's that's really cool. Um, now, how did you get him to a, sign it? Did, did you was it signed when you got it, or did you track yeah. this guy down? No, uh, it was signed. It was signed when I got it, and it, it, there was no way to f- figure out like anything about this guy or the story behind it. You know, it came with the certificate of authenticity, but like whatever, that that means nothing. Um, so for years, I was kind of like, well, this is obviously something, but I don't know who this guy is. And then just recently, this podcast that i follow the retro walt disney world found this guy and interviewed him and he's talking about this prototype oh wow um and and i guess i got to contact the guy he's he's actually thinking of now that there's a demand for these things he's thinking of actually ramping up his shop again he's got to be 70 something ramping up his shop again just to produce these prototypes to sell because people pay you know hundreds of dollars for them or whatever so it was funny after all these years to actually get the inside scoop on on this thing that i'd had sitting around leonard you got to stop that you got to stop him from producing these things man that will drop the value of what you have significantly <laughs> i know I, w- I was thinking i actually need to get in touch with him and partner up with him you know just put, being a, an, an initial investor and uh, throw down some cash <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you can't legally get rid of them, partnering with them is probably the next best step. Yeah, exactly. it's probably it's probably more in line with what you should do. By the way, <laughs> don't listen to my advice. But I mean, yeah, if that ramps. I mean, if that ramps up, that I mean, yours is original and it's signed. But man, yeah. that would be for a collector. That would be 
devastating, I would think. Yeah, I, well, you know, I, I, it's cool that I have mine. I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone else from, from wanting one, too. Obviously, people do. And, and uh, you know, this guy is a very talented man, and his art deserves to be seen. So, whatever. I mean, I, I, I tend to uh, think positively, and, and uh, I, it's not like I was going to sell this thing anyway. Right. You know, I, it's, it's, it's a dear possession of mine, and, uh, you know, I'll probably keep it till the day I die. So it's uh, it's paper money, you know. <laughs> sure, you can't trade it, I guess, for food. Uh, right. It sounds like this pandemic has really put your priorities in order. I mean, you could probably trade it for a pretty significant amount of toilet paper. I don't know what the exact That's toilet true. paper to prototype exchange rate is right now, but I imagine it's got to be decent. Yeah, yeah. Well, these days, well, you know, I'd be, be happy with a, a few few uh, rolls of something nice and soft and right. this uh, terrible uh, restaurant toilet paper that that you can get now <laughs> i'm sure you could you could pull some three ply in for that uh if i had to wow. guess wow yeah, if i had to guess if i had to throw an estimate an estimate out there i'm not one of those guys who ever fell in love with disney i, I live in, in 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 um i'm from chicago i moved to california so i'm by disneyland mm-hmm. Disneyland's okay. I definitely like going to Disneyland. I don't understand the cult of Disney. I don't understand why people go bananas. I don't know why you feel like your life is threatened by writing this book. That's silly. How dangerous can Disney people probably be? But but there's something there, right? There's something I'm missing that you've picked up on. Where did this come? Where, where did this come from for you? Yeah. So you know, it's I think a lot of it's about nostalgia. So I was born and raised in Florida, and we didn't have a lot of money, but um, Disney made it really cheap to buy. They called them three season salute passes, which uh, you could go during the the downtimes, the slow periods, as much as you wanted. And I think the passes were fifty bucks or something. So when for was this, all, like all year in the eighties, like this would this yeah, like the seventies. This, this is about a long time. This would ago. have been yeah. This would have been. Um, Probably, yeah, right around 82, 81, 82 is wow. when they started doing that. You know, it, my mom would just kind of drive us there and drop my sister and I off at the park and just be like, see ya, like, come back, meet, let's meet up for lunch. Uh, it was just a safe place for her to let us run run around and, and have fun. So we, we did that a lot. Uh, and for, for years, uh, we would go you know, a few times a month. And, and I really, I kind of got to know the place like the back of my hand. And I, I always say I could walk around blindfolded just by the, the smells that they pump out and the music. <laughs> and, and, um, did you ever try it that? Really felt, did you ever try to blindfold no, yourself but, and walk I, around? I didn't. That might get some weird looks, but, uh, it's a video, man. No, that's it, a YouTube video of dark side of Disney. That's true. Go on a blindfold. Someone, do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. It's a great actually. idea. Uh, I want you to give me credit when you do it, or I'm going to come to your I, house. I will. Find, I got ways to find out who you are. <laughs> flaming turds, toilet paper. Absolutely. All right. Um, so, so yeah. So it was. It was. Um, you know, it felt like a second home to me almost, and had a lot of good times there. And um, Epcot Center opened, and that blew me away. And I, I was absolutely obsessed with it. Um, it was this kind of really positive vision of the future that I just jived with. And first time I'd ever seen a computer, the first, first time I'd ever used a touchscreen. Um, it's, it was just really cool. So, so I kind of got away from it for a while. Uh, and as a teenager, you know, it started seeming the rides were boring. Um, I didn't really want to go anymore. So I started 
finding other ways to entertain myself. And that's when I was doing things like sneaking down into the underground tunnels, um, going, seeing what was behind the rides, like how they worked, things like that, just to keep myself amused. And so that's kind of where the dark side stuff came from. And then as an adult, again, it, it, it was just a lot of it was nostalgia for, for my childhood. And, um, you know, you go back and you're kind of flooded with, with all these, uh, sensations, like I said, the music and the smells and the sights and all these things you remember from your childhood and, and you walk in the park and it, it's kind of like the outside world goes away and everything's happy and safe, just like it was when you were a kid. And that, that's a feeling that's really hard to get anywhere else. And I think that's why people get so obsessed with it. It's, it's just that, that comfort, that safety, uh, they call it the magic. Um, and it's, it's very unique and I don't, there's not a lot of places in the world where you can get that. So Again, that's why people get obsessed. And I guess that makes sense. I mean, I definitely I know what you're talking about, and you know, part of the terminology is to keep the magic. I mean, it's the same idea mm-hmm. behind Santa Claus, right? I mean, it's just this idea sure. that you don't want to have any for children, especially. You don't want them to to really see behind the illusion and let them enjoy the fantasy. And I, I can see how that can be kind of intoxicating to as, even as an adult because you you can't get that anywhere. Right. And it is kind of built on the blood, sweat, and tears of of interns, <laughs> which is, yep. to me, that's the dark side of Disney, man. Like, the dark side of Disney is how they basically will take that the want of that utopia, the, the, that, that idea of the safe place for their children and all this stuff, and really just drain people dry for money. I mean, you're talking about oh, yeah. a $20, $50 ticket or whatever. I mean, I had a girlfriend a couple years ago who was looking to get an annual pass, and she'd scraped together the money. And I remember it was mm-hmm. right around her birthday. I'll never forget this morning because the night before we had talked about, she's like, I want to get an annual pass. I want to get an annual pass. And it was like $800 or something, which is a pretty significant investment. And I think yeah. it was even one that had blackout dates in the summer or something. Like the, the passes mm-hmm. are crazy. And $800, this is a couple of years ago. That's a lot for you know a couple times. A, she had friends who go a couple times a week. Anyway, it made sense to her. So she right. hemmed and hawed. And I remember the next morning, she was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I was like, whatever, it's your money. I mean, do your thing. She went to go buy it, and that night, the prices had gone up, and it was then (laughs) $1,100. And this happens every nine months. I mean, I just, the prices just went up a month, what, February 20th, I believe it was, of this year, 2020. They just went up. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're in the middle of a pandemic. No one's going to your parks. Like, Like, is it just on clockwork? Like, why every nine months does the price have to go up? Why do you have to keep diluting the value of it? Why can't anyone just go and enjoy the park, you know? I mean, it's it's really it's really crazy how much stuff costs in the park. You know, the trouble they've gotten into from taking interns and basically using them as free or cheap labor. I mean, it's there yep. is a price to what you see there. <laughs> and to me, it's like, you know, and that's not even scratching the surface. You mentioned phase characters. Yeah, we won't go into it, but I did a whole research on, like, what it's like to be a Disney yeah. princess. Ain't easy, my friends, mm-hmm. and it's not pretty, and it's not nice. Um, you know, even being a mascot, people aren't allowed to take off. You're not allowed to walk around without the the, the helmet on, the hat, the, whatever, the mask. Right. People get heat stroke. They throw up in the in the mask to make sure that they don't take it off because they don't want to get fired. I mean, it's like a slave drive. Like that's how they they work over there. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's like building the pyramids in a way. To me, that's a dark is, side. Yeah. Um, but for you, really, what you loved is this idea of this other world, in a way. Like, what's behind the scenes? What is the... And it's more like the dark side of the moon, in a sense, less than the 
what is the evil side of Disney, right? Like, is that yeah, fair to say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to to describe it. Yeah, it's like the uh, the hidden side. Yeah, the the under the seedy underbelly kind of that they just don't want you to see because everything's magical up up top, right? And, and you know, you go behind the scenes or underground, and it's dirty and smelly, and right. yeah, there's. Yeah, it's so they do a really good job of hiding that stuff, which to me is is fascinating. And again, you know, once I'd seen everything that there was to see in the actual parks, I, I started getting a little bored of it. And then being a naturally curious person, I was like, wait, how do they actually make this stuff? And yeah. where did that person go when they when they walked through that door? We're like, what's behind that door? Um, and so that's that's what I started getting into and got really, really passionate and obsessed about that. Um, and it's part of what led to the book. To me, the, the, my favorite parts of the book, there are a couple, couple favorite parts. Like there's, there's tips on how to get hotels and, and tickets and all this stuff, and that's all, all well and good. But to me, like the groundbreaking stuff in your book is twofold. Uh, and this is at the time. Like the stuff we're going to talk about has probably been talked about before and whatever. But I found – so how I stumbled across you is I was looking for, I, I was doing, uh, I have another podcast about pop culture technology, um, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, Gear-Based Technologies, to give myself a shameless plug there, FGGBT. <laughs> and we did a show on Westworld. We did a three-part series on Westworld. Oh, cool. And one of the cool things about Westworld is the park. There's a huge western theme park. Yep. And in a lot of the, have you seen the show? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. you know how they have like all of the underground tunnels, lots of stuff yep. takes place in these it seems to be just an endless amount of just underground, behind-the-scenes stuff. And I remember hearing rumors that there was an underground city uh, in 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 Disney World. And it turns yeah. out that that's exactly right. I did some research and, and discovered the Utilidors, and your name popped up as you know, kind of the the. Um, the person who discovered them first. I don't know if that's true or not, but the oldest videos about it are your kind of guerrilla style videos where you basically yeah. just said, hey, I've heard about these things. I want to go check it out. And then you walk down and there's videos of you doing that. And then there's video, the other video, famous videos, a guy named Adam the Woo who discovered mm -hmm. um, abandoned parks, you know, this urban exploring mm -hmm. thing you talked about. This to me was one of the, uh, the things that I really was like, oh, this is how it works. So let, let's talk about that. I know mean, you probably talked about it to death, but I, I'm a new guy here. I, I didn't really know about it until I started reading your book and kind of seeing the videos. So tell me, how did you really stumble across the just the reality that these things even existed? Forget about exploring it. Yeah, I, so it was kind of an urban legend. And, of course, this was you know way pre-internet, what we call internet now. Um, so there really wasn't... A, any good way to to kind of verify these things or to to learn about them and i seem to remember again back in the day they had these things called bbs's uh bulletin board services and you would dial with your modem straight into a bbs and it was kind of like reddit i guess now i would say i'm gonna stop you here so anyone who's seen the movie weird science it's literally i think you're talking about almost where you would take the phone and plug it into yeah. a thing like take a rotary phone yeah. and plug it into a device so that it could talk yeah. to itself right like you're going this is old school right and you had to know you had to know the specific number of that bulletin board and that was hard to get you had to get that from another bulletin board you know mm -hmm. someone would clue in on it so yeah. i think we were in a hacking bulletin board or a, a freaking a, a phone hacking one and someone mentioned it 
mention these utilidors. And we were like, my friends and I were like, whoa. And they had actually put together an uh, Again, you couldn't even download images. They were too big back then. So people would, would draw using characters on their keyboard. They would make images mm-hmm. with you know uh, the pound signs, of just hundreds of pound signs. So someone had made a map of the utilidors you know, just using the characters on their keyboard. And it's a very rough kind of um, – but, but it was there. And so we were like, wow. So we printed that out and took it with us to the magic kingdom and spent all day trying to find these entrances to the utilidors that were on this map. Now, hold on a second. Now, now when you found, so this is literally and figuratively underground. No one knew that these yeah. existed. Well, they were an underground concept yes. and they were physically underground. Um, Cause I think the way it actually works is the park is the third, the Cinderella's castles, the third floor, the park is the second floor I mean, I'm talking about an early construction when this thing this thing was obviously yeah. made with these these in mind, and so these they're literally underground. What was it like when you stumbled across? I mean, that's like a that's like Goonies esque, you know? I mean, you stumbled across yeah. like a treasure map. What was that? What was the feeling like when you first were like, oh my god! Not only does this exist, here's a map of the thing. Yeah, I mean, it it was like Goonies, and it was one of those things where you kind of always heard this urban legend about it, but. Yeah, yeah, that seems a little too far-fetched to be true. And then we got this map, and we're like, well, yeah. I know what we're doing this weekend. And <laughs> yeah. But even with the map, even knowing that it existed for real, it was nearly impossible to find these doors. And they, they're they just, they're hidden in plain sight so well that you just, it your eye just goes right past them. Like you, your eyes, you're, you're looking around, you know it's supposed to be here, and you just can't see it. It's a really weird phenomena, and it, I mean, it's brilliant. The designers are brilliant who did this, and they, they do it just, you know, the, these things look like they're part of the fixtures of the building, essentially. They've been painted, they've been decorated to look like they're just paneling on a building or something. You would have no idea there was a door there. So we actually struggled, spent hours just trying to find one door, and when we finally found that one door, of course once you get down there, we just started taking every stairway back up. So we would just walk up the next stairway we found, come out of another door and be like, wow, okay, never seen that door before, but let's mark that one down on the map. So we just spent, you know, all day kind of going up every stairway we could and finding all the doorways. But yeah, the first time we went down there, like opening the door was just kind of an, uh, like a hallelujah moment. It was like, ah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, we were so excited, but we were just scared to death, too, because um, we had no idea what we were getting into. Um, there were no pictures out there. Um, we didn't know how much traffic there was up and down the stairway or down there. So, you know, we thought we were going to get kicked out, arrested. We had no idea. And you also mentioned you take a little bit of time in the book to describe all the things that can happen to you because you mentioned a lot of people who do scams on tickets and and you know trying to sneak in and all these things. There are levels of basically enforcement that Disney is going to apply based on the situation, and you're kind of walking into their to their backstage area off limits. I mean, I can understand yeah. where you wouldn't know where you would fall on that alert scale. Right. Yeah, we had had no idea. I mean, there's there's no signs up because they don't want to draw attention to to the doors. So it's not like there's for most of them there's nothing that says do not enter or anything like that. So did you find them when someone just walked out? Is that like how you did it? No. No. We um the the first one we went to was that we found was right near the castle 
right near the uh, there's a fountain uh, right near the castle, and it's Cinderella. It's I think it's yeah, it's a Cinderella fountain, and um, no, it, it it it's under an alcove. It's in the shade. Again, it just looks like paneling, and I th- we almost gave up at one point because we couldn't find any of them. And there's some obvious doors where the face characters go in and out of, but they're so high trafficked that we knew we couldn't even attempt those because there's constantly, you know, the uh, the goofy or whatever going in and out of of that. And we just also figured that was kind of a break room, like a staging area for the characters. We didn't actually think those went down to the tunnels. Um, so yeah, when we found that first one, it took us hours and, um, and it was kind of just like, like finding a secret door in a library, you know, where you're pulling the books out to kind of get that door to open. <laughs> right, we were strong, just yeah. kind of just dragging our hands along the walls because <laughs> we had the map. We knew there was a door here somewhere. Were you knocking, looking for the loose brick? Like, dunk, 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 yeah, dunk, yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the, we finally found that one and, and opened up the door and just immediately was struck by how dirty it was, how how bad it smelled, chipped paint. You know, it was, it was just the the stark difference just, you know, in within feet of in front of that doorway and behind that doorway was was a little overwhelming. And, and then once we got down there, of course, it was a bustling city, which just was shocking. Uh, totally blew my mind. This is what's crazy is you basically were able to walk down there kind of undisturbed. I mean, no one bothered you. You were able to take video of it. Um, You know, this video appeared in a lot of different places. Uh, It's it's strange that no one stopped you. You were able to see, you know, various different employees in various different stages of, you know, some were the characters, some were just interns, some were walking around. There's a cafeteria down there. There's people Mm -hmm. on bikes. There's people, you know, on these you know golf, golf carts, carts yeah. yeah i mean just like whizzing around doing all this stuff <laughs> and it's basically you you know you had the map you could get to any place in the park i mean for no other reason it seems like an amazing way if you want to get cut the crowd just pop down there yeah. zip across and then pop out you don't even need to be doing anything nefarious just it's just a right. high speed transport walking you know pedestrian transport system exactly so w- did that surprise you that no one was even bugging you or stopped you or anything yeah, because again, we were we were scared to death. We thought the first person who saw us was going to immediately, you know, call security, and, and that would be the end of that. And you guys look like tourists, by the way. Like in the video, I think whoever whoever's holding we look the like ca- bums, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like someone's wearing like a tie dye shirt. I think that says like M I C K U I or something like that. It's like, dude, how did you not know that these guys are? Yeah, I mean, no, we just look like typical, you know, teenagers, college kids, or whatever right. uh, who were in there for a day in the park. But but it turns out. You know, that's a large portion of their staff is people just like us at the time. And staff comes in dressed just like us. They go to costuming. They change into their into their outfits. And and then they look like they do out in the park. So there's a lot of people down there just coming into work or leaving work dressed in street clothes. So turns out the only thing that really stuck out about us was this camera that I was holding, which at the time, again, we didn't have cameras on our phones. It was a. I think it was a high eight oh, uh, camera. Wow. It was not huge, <laughs> wow. but, but bulky enough to be noticed. Yeah. And that's why the video is so shaky. I had to hold it at my side to kind of not look like I was filming. Right. Um, so, um, but yeah, so we kind of, I think they just assumed we were just uh, cast members, maybe on our first week or so of the job, not really knowing where we were going, getting lost. 
we actually at some point asked someone for directions and they were very kind and, and helped us out. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was not at all what we were expecting. It was pretty wild. Wow. I mean, it, one of the things that's great about this story is people forget in this, in the era of smartphones and the era of, I mean, there's some phones that have three cameras on the phone, right? Like the new mm-hmm. iPhone, I think that's four cameras. It's got three cameras on the back and then it's got one camera on the front. It's got four cameras on the phone. Yeah. And these yeah. phones can be small. You can stick them in your pocket, whatever. But back then, that was real gorilla. I mean, you guys were really risking being spotted. You know, I mean, yeah. everyone everyone carries around a phone. Not everyone carries around a high heat camera, no matter how compact sure. it is. So that must have been another level of nerve wracking to that. I imagine was you know nerve wracking element of just walking around with this camera that clearly was not supposed to be there. No one else had cameras. Yeah, no, I, I know, and and luckily. It was, I worked at the TV station at my college at the time. So I brought, I brought some of this gear home. I think that was for summer break. And, um, so it was, it was a pretty high end camera, not one that most consumers would have. So maybe that helped a little bit cause people didn't really know what it was. Um, or they, you know, they're at work. These people are at work. They really don't care. They, they just want to get through the day that they're, you know, life is miserable. It's hot. Um, <laughs> they're down in this smelly right. tunnels and then they're dealing with, you know, crying kids all day. So the last of their concerns was us, you know, people barely even looked at us. I, th- I think that helped a lot too. But, um, but yeah, now I will say uh, another thing is this was pre nine 11, you know, it just wasn't really in anyone's minds that people would go down there and do anything bad. So they really had no reason to be suspicious. Of course, now, um, and I, partially because of 9-11, partially because of the, the book, my book and, and the videos, um, everyone is required to wear a badge. It has to be visible at all times. If your badge isn't visible, a manager has to stop you and ask to see your badge. Um, if they don't and something ends up happening, obviously, they're going to get fired they're super vigilant about that now. And so this stuff that we did back then absolutely will not fly now. So just so if any of your listeners are thinking about trying this, don't. Uh, you will get caught. You will get thrown out. And it, it, kind of in response to that, they've actually started a a tour that you can pay for. It's not even that expensive for them. I think it's less than 100 bucks, where they, they will take you down to the Utilidors and you, obviously you're not allowed to have your, your camera out or your phone out to film anything. They'll take you down there and let you see kind of the nice part of it, which it's not really nice, but the, the part that, that smells the least bad and has the least amount of dirt. And um, and they'll they'll kind of walk you around for five minutes and, and let you see it. So that should be enough to satiate most people's curiosity, I would think. Um, but yeah, the stuff that we did back then would definitely not fly now. Well, now you talk about you. You said smelly at least seven times yeah. since we've we've yeah. had this conversation, and and I yeah. caught. I think you did an interview actually very recently, like maybe a month ago. In that interview, when I was listening to it, it seemed like, and I missed this some place, but they had some sort of pneumatic tube system for the garbage. Is that why it smells so bad? Yeah. So uh, all around the park, um, there are these waste collection tubes, essentially that uh, the garbage goes into. So it just gets sucked down into these pneumatic tubes. And which, great idea, super cool. You know, you're not seeing someone with huge bags of trash walking around in the park because that would ruin the the magic. So uh, 
you know, marvel of modern technology, but it's what, you know, however old the park is now, it's uh, 30 something years old. And those tubes don't function quite as well as they probably did when they first were built. And they're leaky and trash gets stuck in them and sits there for who knows how long. Um, or a bag breaks and something just coats the inside of them. I don't, they probably don't clean them very often. And so you've got these leaky pneumatic tubes just pushing out this disgusting trash smell everywhere. Um, so you go down there and it smells like a dumpster. Uh, I don't know any other way to put it. It smells like a dumpster. <laughs> but no one's done anything. About, I mean, you can't be the first person to complain about this. I mean, oh, no, that's. All the any cast member I've talked to, they might they could make a perfume out of this. It is such a recognizable smell. Really? Everyone who's who works there just immediately knows what I'm talking about. Um, it's just one of those very specific things to the utilidors that you you really can't you don't smell it anywhere else. Um, and I I don't know. It's that it's just a thing. I imagine they clean them. I imagine they patch them, but. You know, it's it's got to be a full time job. Um, again, great idea, maybe not the best execution. Um, and uh, and it's funny because up in in the park itself, they have these things called smellitzers. Which I'm sorry, are, what are they called? Um, they're called smellitzers. Okay. Um, and they are basically it's like a fan hooked up to a to a scent cannon, and um, and they blow out sense so when you're walking down main street they blow out uh cookies smell of cookies um when you're in a in a ride in a certain part they'll blow out a smell of oranges in in the park above they're deliberately you know blowing out these really really nice smells and uh and then when you get down below they're very much not deliberately blowing out this really awful smell uh, again it's just that one of those dichotomies that when you cross through that door you're like whoa this is so different um i, I always found that fascinating well I, I think first of all i love your obsession with the smell it almost borderlines on your obsession with disney itself uh, <laughs> which is really cool and and i think to me that stark difference encapsulates the disney company i mean that that feels like the difference between working at disney and consuming mm -hmm. Disney, you know, I yeah. mean, that is just that is such a perfect analogy of of the company, at least as far as as I can tell. Uh, and I don't want to say yeah. too many bad things. I don't want to. And if I end up working for them, I don't want them to hear this. And <laughs> I, I don't think that I don't think it's you know, it's just how their company works. But I think that when you have something that sells something that's so shiny, and then you see the grime and work and that goes into creating that thing, that does create mm -hmm. can create a really stark difference. Now, along the same line, now, I know you didn't do a lot with this. Some other people, you know, more the urban adventurers kind of did a lot of this stuff. But this was also really interesting to me, and you knew some of these guys pretty pretty well, I think. But this idea mm -hmm. that Disney, when they have a park that doesn't, that doesn't work, and I think River Country is probably one of the best examples of this. Uh, yeah. They basically, they, they don't tear it down. They don't do anything with it. They literally, I feel like they just evacuate the the park the night they're going to close it and then they lock it up and then they walk away and then they don't ever talk about it again like river country it still exists there you know adam the woo did this famous video of walking through mm -hmm. and there's this great part where he walks into the dining area where they had like picnic tables and they're still playing the music that they played yeah like why yep. what what no one turned that off what, what that's that to me is so creepy but also really awesome in a way <laughs> like that is 
Like, kind of terrifying. You feel like around the corners there's some deranged Disney fan who's been murdering people, you know, Jason Voorhees style, you know, pop around the corner. But did you do any it's of this surreal. stuff? Or what do you know about this, this, this concept and what goes on with that? Yes, yeah, so you're absolutely right. So instead of just uh, demolishing it, they just leave these things there to rot. Um, River Country is one of them. In the book, I interviewed a guy, uh, Shane Perez, who uh, swam out to what is oh, called right. a Discovery Island. Yeah, it's a good story. And this was kind of Animal Kingdom before they built Animal Kingdom. Once they built Animal Kingdom, which is kind of like their big zoo, there was no reason to have Discovery Island anymore because that was their, their zoo. And so they just left this big island uh, that used to be a zoo abandoned. And a lot of the birds, I guess, that they just let them free. Um, so there's like vultures there and like it's just – all overgrown, creepy, uh, abandoned island. So in the middle of the night, um, and, and other people have done this since, but in the middle of the night, Shane Perez, uh, who is a, a very popular urban explorer, great photographer, uh, went out there. He, he went across the lake and, uh, and got on this island and, and took a bunch of pictures and explored it. And uh, I found that fascinating. And what's funny is they do the same thing inside the parks. So if there's a ride that closes, they'll just let it sit there and kind of just, uh, you know, abandoned and it, things start crumbling. And so I've done a few, a few of those uh, explorations in the parks themselves. There's a, a place called image works in the imagination pavilion that they just shuttered and left abandoned. And I had such great memories of it uh, as a kid. It was kind of a, a playground, like a sensory futuristic playground. It closed and they just kind of boarded it up and left it there to rot. And so uh, I, I found a way into there and filmed, filmed that. And it, that was super creepy because it's, it's pitch dark. Um, there's just weird noises and, um, yeah, went around and explored that, got caught. Um, that wasn't great, and uh, kind of talked my way out of it. Just you weren't beaten senseless by Disney security. No, no, I, I, I feel bad for for the person who caught me because she, you know, obviously didn't know what was going on. I just play the dumb. I call it the dumb guest routine. Like, oh, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't even know how to get out of here. Can you help me get out of here? Like, you know, that sort of thing. Right. There's a VIP lounge in the Wonders of Life Pavilion that was just abandoned. Um, some people have gone up to there also in that same pavilion, the, there was a ride called body wars, um, that just got abandoned. So people would find a way to get back in, into there and look around. Yeah. They just, they just shut these things down. And now what ha started happening in the past year, two years, which is very unfortunate, um, is that I at least feel with me and Shane and Adam, the woo, we love Disney. We were very curious and we did it out of you know with the urban explorer code which is uh, uh basically only take pictures and only leave footprints um so don't steal anything don't destroy anything leave it there for other people to enjoy so unfortunately in the past few years um people just for youtube hits have been going back there and uh just being really inconsiderate about it doing stuff that's dangerous and then also stealing things um, to resell on eBay it started happening more and more and it kind of culminated in someone stole a 300 pound animatronic 
from the Wonders of Life Pavilion from this thing uh, called Cranium Command, which was a show that they had that had been shut down for you know, over a decade, I would say. Um, and the, the main character in that was this guy, this kid called Buzzy, and he would kind of guide you through this movie. It was really cute. So explorers would go in there. You see him. He's sitting there kind of in midair on this crane type thing, just lifeless. One day someone goes in and, and he's gone and all the hydraulic lines have been cut and uh, like cut poorly. Someone, not someone, it had to be more than one person, uh, found their way in there, cut all the lines and stole this 300 pound animatronic from this defunct attraction. Ever uh, recovered? Which, no, huh. never. It, that This was uh, probably eight months ago now. And uh, no. Has oh, this not, is recent. No one knows this, where this he is. is. This is a yep. recent. Wow. Yep. This this just recently happened, and um, you know, I, I they're doing a lot of work on that side of the park. They're building a new uh, Guardians of the Galaxy ride, and um, there's a, so there's contractors coming in and out constantly, and um, I bet someone was a contractor and and knew about it and just backed up a truck and and uh, you know went in there and loaded it but in. Do you think it was an inside and job? That, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Even though the lines were cut poorly, um, you think a contractor would have snipped them. I don't think they're so smart that they would cut them poorly to cover their tracks. I mean, they had to get in and out fast. So um, That's true. I think they just went in with bolt cutters and just cut all the lines. Um, hydraulic fluid was sprayed all over the floor. That stuff is is not fun. to like that. It's yeah. gross. It's <laughs> bad yeah. stuff. That's um, Utilidor's gross, and, uh, that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, he's uh, he's been – he's gone. Wow. And um, – I think, you know, my opinion on that is if someone can take out a 300-pound something without being noticed, that means someone can bring in a 300-pound something without being noticed. And that's scary as hell. Mm -hmm. So I would hope that 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 was the last straw. And after that, they're being much more stringent about their security backstage. But who knows? You know, there's, there's obviously they don't talk about that stuff. But that, that really freaked me out. Just, and, and, and it's, it's sad too, you know, that it that it had to get to that point. Um, and then I also noticed that ImageWorks place that I explored. I saw some other videos from it, and just seeing other people's videos, stuff had gone missing that was there when I explored. So people were stealing stuff from there. Wow. Um, really unfortunate. That is really unfortunate because it takes the fun out of everything. You know, there's 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 there is something cool about going into a place you've never seen before and kind of adventuring through it and taking pictures and. And just ex- just it, experiencing it in a way that's fun, mm. but it's not destructive. Like I, I'm all for that. Right. I know it's probably against the law; it's trespassing technically, but but it paves the way, especially in this era of YouTube. I, I sound like an old man now. I'm shaking my fist, get off my lawn, you know. <laughs> but it's like you got young yeah. kids right now, and the big deal is getting hits. And it's like what you know, what is the mo- what is yep. the worst thing I can do? You know, you had that idiot Logan Paul or whatever talking about suicide victims with like a, a victim lying next to him. Like that was the epitome yeah. of horrible, terrible human beings doing disgusting things on the internet. And yet people don't learn a lesson. And it's just, it's why these arguments today about like, oh, we can trust people to do the right thing. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you yeah. can't. No, you can't. You can't. I'm sorry. People are eating Tide Pods for, for clicks. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you can't, you can't, you cannot trust people to do the right thing. You just can't. When, they, when people want to do something, they're going to say, well, it's okay if I do this thing. 
but not everyone. Mm-hmm. But, well, no, because then everyone thinks that they're the only one that's doing it. And what do you know? Everyone's doing it. So I'm with you on that. That's actually dis- dis- disgusting to me. But on, on, a, on, a, on a better note, what's actually weird about just that concept of Disney leaving this stuff to rot, you know, I live in Disney, I live in Disney, I live in California, Disneyland is close by, mm-hmm. and you know, I have a fondness for Disneyland, like I said, I don't understand the, the craziness, but I do have a fondness for it, and I actually like, even though I didn't go there as a kid, I like this idea of like Frontierland and Tomorrowland and, you know, all this stuff, I think it's fun. What I think's weird is I've never really I understand the business side that Disney owns Star Wars. I get it. I know that they own Star Wars. I know that they own Marvel, okay? But those to me are not Disney products. Those Marvel existed right. for 70 years before Disney owned it. Star Wars has existed for 40 plus years before Disney owned it. When I think of Disney, I don't think of those places. And what they've done is they've torn down existing places. I believe the new Star Wars exhibit yeah. is in Frontierland. I think they destroyed part of Frontierland for it. I, I may be incorrect there, but I they think did. okay. No, you're right. Yeah, they t- they took down the ranch where the uh, the goats used to the goats and the horses used to be. There's a, a little ranch there, a petting zoo type. Right. Thing. Actually, I'm for getting rid of petting zoos. So so that part I'm actually <laughs> sure. on board with. But sure. I'm not on board with destroying that to put in something that's not even Disney related. And so my question is. Why don't they take these places that they've literally just turned the key on and locked up? Just shutter that completely. Just demolish that and put in a new attraction where you already have land. You already have stuff there. Just get rid of it and use it. Why Why do you want a bunch of acres? Like, why, why is River Country open? You got a bunch of acres. Use it wisely. Put something cool in there. It's just You're just paying taxes on it, and it's not doing anything for you. I, I th- that, that, to me, is my, I don't understand that concept. Do you have any insight on that as we close? I know that's a lot. Sorry to rant on you a little bit. No, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I kind of got burned out by the place. Um because, for example, like that image works, I had such fond memories of it as a kid, and then they just let it rot. Like, why Why didn't – they've got something good there. Like, why didn't they either fix it back up, reopen it, or put something nice there? Um, instead, they, f- for reasons I cannot figure out, take a perfectly good ride, which was Universe of Energy, gut it, and put in a Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster, which has nothing to do with – Epcot Center, you know, which was supposed to be educating people and and uh, just the decisions that they're making, trying to shoehorn in their IPs mm, right. to every place they can, uh, whether or not it's thematically consistent, they don't care. Um, it just really started to bug me and it really started. To, I started going to Epcot and when I would set foot in there, I would get angry. I would get depressed. And I at some point I realized like, I'm spending a hundred dollars to come to a place to get angry and depressed. Like, why am I doing <laughs> right, this? Yeah. Like, and 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 again, it was a lot of the reason why I still loved it was because of nostalgia, because of the things I loved from my childhood. And they were tearing these things down and putting in crap. And it it just it, it wasn't the place that it wasn't the place I grew up with. It's not the place that Walt designed. I think Walt would hate what they've done with a lot of the choices they've made. It just feels like there's a lot of sh- short sighted decisions being made. Um, that they're going to look back on and just be like, why did we do that? And yeah, to, to your point, why leave something rotting there uh, when you could refurbish it? You got, you got the space, put something nice in there. Um, I don't know. It just boggles my mind that the poor decisions that they've been making over the past 10, 15 years. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bummer. It, it really is. No, I agree. I, I mean, it's a perfect phrase, shoehorning in their IP. I, I totally agree that that's exactly 
what people are what they're doing and and it goes against i mean you're talking about walt disney the guy who who designed walt disney world with three levels in an underground city so that the cowboy mm-hmm. in Frontierland wouldn't show up in the you know the space needle of of Tomorrowland. <laughs> like you mm-hmm. think he'd really yeah. want guardians of the galaxy by the epcot center that doesn't even make sense absolutely not uh, cause it's all corporate decisions yeah. it's designed to maximize money and that i think i understand business i'm not one of these people who doesn't understand business but you're starting now to dilute the magical thing that was sold before, and you're, 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 you, the people who are most passionate about it are really remembering a time before when things were great, and it's it's very, very different now. But we could go on about that forever. I feel like you know, I'm getting into old man mode here. But but <laughs> there's great the, these books are great. I mean, even though they're a little outdated, they're they're very fun. Great stories. Your two fiction books are great as well. Uh, you definitely either need to be a fan of Disney, and I don't mean like, hey, I like Disneyland once in my life when I was twelve. I mean, you have to know Disneyland or get yourself educated yeah. on the uh, on the lingo. And then the books are a breeze to read. Great stories. You did a great job with those. How can people get the books? How can people get in touch with you? Uh, where's Bamboo Publishing? And when are we getting to Together to do this YouTube video where you're blind walking through uh, Disney World. <laughs> well, so the books are available anywhere you can buy books. Uh, obviously, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can also get um, signed copies of the books and of some uh, prints and other fun stuff like that at uh, bambooforest.storeenvy.com. Um, and uh, yeah, I do. Bamboo Forest Publishing publishes all kind of adult-oriented Disney-related books. So um, there's ones that are like Die Hard in, in uh, Disney World. There's an erotica book uh, written about you know just this woman having sex all over the parks. Um, that's called Dark Rides. So there's a lot of there. We publish a lot of fun stuff. So people should, if you like these books, check out those books. Um, and the YouTube channels, youtube.com slash dark side of Disney. Uh, again, I, I post a lot of stuff that should be interesting to people who, who like the books, whether it's Disney or not, it still has that kind of attitude. You know, if I go to Amsterdam, I'm still checking out things behind the scenes or doing stuff that, that I would be doing in the books. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I need to get out, actually need to get out to California and, and, uh, and, and shoot a video out there. I've been, I've been meaning to do that for for a while it's been a, it's been a few years since i've been out there so i'll definitely I'll, and i will give you credit yeah. absolutely hey man give me a call let's walk around let's do a video together i think that'd be a lot of fun that yeah, would be we'll awesome. explore there's tons yeah. of stuff to explore out here and yeah let's get arrested together man let's do it this is the best way to bond <laughs> what about twitter facebook you do any of that stuff yeah uh i'm i'm on uh, facebook there's a dark side of disney page or you can just look up uh leonard kinsey i've got a personal page and and i do have uh twitter too and i think that's uh, uh, under dark side disney I'm going to put links to that on the website uh, so you guys can just go to the website and find all that stuff. Leonard Kinsey, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. It was great. Thanks. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode is Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. If you like the show, you got to subscribe. You don't want to miss an episode. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Easy to find. If you want simple links... 
you can go to the Fascinating Nouns webpage, fascinatingnouns.com. You can find links to all the podcast episodes. You can find all the episodes right there, right on the website. we got previous guests up at the top, current episodes, all that stuff. You can have access to the the videos and the and all the pictures that we have put up. And if you like the show and you but you don't want to listen to it in any of those places, we're now on YouTube. You can find us there as well. And of course, if you like this show, you're gonna like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening. End of transmission. Thank you.